Talk to us about our life. You care so much about us personally, Lord. We know your word tells us, Jesus, you said uh, that a, a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without your heavenly Father knowing. And you so, know so much about what's going on in our lives, Lord. The little things, the things that maybe to some people seem so insignificant, God, you care about those things. And, and so we just give you this morning, pray that uh, we'd be sensitive to you, uh, that we'd hear your voice today, God. And, uh, and, and be encouraged this morning, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So we're looking at a move of God's spirit here. Jesus uh, is coming on the scene. God's plan for redemption is unfolding as we look at Luke chapter 1. And, and uh, the first week we looked at the angel Gabriel meeting with Elizabeth and Zacharias. And, you know, hey, you're going to have a son. He's going to be the forerunner of Messiah you're going to have this miraculous birth. And then we looked at, you know, the angel Gabriel visits Mary and, and tells her, hey, listen, you're going to have an even more miraculous birth. Uh, and then we see Mary visit Elizabeth, right? Today we're going to see the birth of John, the fulfillment of God's promise to Zacharias and Elizabeth, how we started the chapter. And, and from the beginning of chapter 1 to the end of chapter 1, it could be a year, maybe more. It's at least nine months from the time that, that uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth uh, heard from the angel. And then, you know, they're, they're going to have a baby. So it's at least nine months. Maybe it's longer. How, how, how long? Maybe a month, two they waited. I don't know. Maybe it was right away. And who cares? Why are you telling me that? Well, I just want to tell you, not to be weary in well-doing, to be patient. Here's the reality. We went through chapter one. It took us one week, two weeks, three weeks. This is week four, right? These guys are living out the promises of God. It's a year, maybe, at least nine months. They've been waiting. Zacharias and Elizabeth, they've been waiting their whole lives. They've been patiently waiting to hear from God. And, and Turn to Isaiah 55 with me just for a minute. Don't be impatient or frustrated with the work of God in your life or what he's doing around you and the people around you and the things around you. Trust the process and trust his timing. We can become very impatient as parents looking at our kids. Oh, God, what's going on? Especially if you have a prodigal. Lord, when? We can become impatient. Isaiah 55 says this. Did I say that? Isaiah 55? I was reading my Bible early this morning, uh, early one morning this week. I was reading it early this morning, too. Uh, but this week, just sitting on, on my porch, looking out at the stars, thinking, man, that is a long way off. Looking at one star, just, wow, that is so distant. And I thought about this, what, what God says here uh, in, in Isaiah 55, verse 8. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways your ways, says the Lord. So God jumps in here. As Isaiah is speaking, and he plants his name here, he says, this is what I want to tell you. Thus saith the Lord, 
My thoughts aren't your thoughts. My ways aren't your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts, right? His ways are way bigger because he knows more. I looked it up this morning just because I was interested thinking about this verse. 602 people in history, in all of history, have reached Earth's orbit, which is 50 or 60 miles above sea level. They took off into Earth's orbit. The closest star, Proxima Centauri, is almost 6 trillion miles away. That's 4.25 light years away, right? And, if, and, and I didn't do all the math. I just looked it up this morning. But with all of our advanced technology that we have today, if you got on a rocket ship, the fastest one, I think they go five miles per second. Is that, if that's even possible, I don't know. Uh, it would take 81,000 years to hit that closest star, right? I'd say God's thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways, right? You look at the stars and think, man, Lord, you're doing a lot more than just what's going on in my little life. You're working out in this person and that person, and you're doing something in me at the same time you're doing something in someone else and maybe through your life. So we have to be patient, trusting God, right? The psalmist said, how long, O Lord, How long will you hide your face forever, right? And we can feel like that sometimes. Lord, are you going to come through? How long is this going to take? Why are you hiding from me? Are you going to move? And we feel like that. We can feel like the disciples. You know, Mark records both times the, the disciples, Jesus said, cross the sea. One time he's in the boat. One time he goes in another, or he walks on the sea, right? And it's in Mark's gospel, which is probably Peter's account, right? This great seaman, you know, this great fisherman. And the first time when Jesus is asleep in the boat, Peter doesn't say it was him, but it may have been. The storm rages and Peter or someone comes to Jesus and says, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? Do you even care, right? And we can question that as Things take time as we have to have patience, as we're enduring and we're we're thinking, God, you could change this in a second. But his ways and his thoughts, his plans are higher than ours. We have to be patient because he's working out a lot more than these little finite minds can figure out. He's doing something. And just because you can't figure it out or I can't figure it out doesn't mean he's not working. We have to be patient. And we have to trust. God, I know you're working. I believe it. You said it. I trust that. I trust that you are. You need, might need to preach that to yourself today. Remind yourself of that today. Remind other people of that today. That he does care. And he is working things out. Tell yourself that. Tell other people that. You know, I thought about... thought about... Uh, if you saw, we have a couple of sheds here on our, on our property, kind of. Um, we have two sheds, and then there's a big pile of lumber next to it, and I made, may have made reference to this before. And, and now that pile's growing. There's some fresh boards on, 
this pile of lumber out there. Well, that's going to be a shed too, right? And Justin's working on it with some students from school. And to you and I, and maybe to the students, they're looking at this pile of lumber and thinking, well, how is this going to work? What's going to happen, right? But Justin, as this master architect and craftsman, you know, he sees a shed. He sees a roof and doors and windows, and, right? And that's the way God sees your life, right? We look at it like, it's a pile of lumber. It's what's going on. But God says, I'm going to work on all that. I'm going to do all that. Trust me. Don't throw that screw out or that board out, right? I went over and robbed a few of the boards from Justin to use them for something else. Don't we do that with the Lord too sometimes? We're like, Lord, I need that over here, right? And the guy's like, no, 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 I'm using that. Give me that back. I'm going to use that. Like, how or can you use that? Trust me, I'm going to use it. Trust me. And we got to trust the Lord in our lives and with our lives in, and be patient that he's going to work these things out. So it says this in verse 57 of Luke chapter 1. You can trust that we're going to get through the chapter 2 today. It says, Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. Right? They, they, they saw God's fulfillment, and that's what people are going to see in your life, God's fulfillment, God's plan. It's going to come to pass. Right? The problem with the children of Israel, as God moves them out of Egypt to the promised land, they got impatient. They got discouraged. They complained, right? It sounds like us. It can be us at times. But you know what the problem was? As many of them died on the way to the promised land. They didn't make it. As much as they saw, as much as they experienced God's hand, the Red Sea party and all, they missed out on God's promise. And right here, as Elizabeth, she's patient her whole life. And then finally... Here comes the birth announcement. Sometimes that happens with you and I. Now, you know, a door opens, and then it's a little bit easier to be patient. You know, she sees her bellies growing. Wow, this is amazing, right? You need to circle God's promises for you in the Bible. Highlight them, journal them, underline them, hold on to them, pray them through. Because you're going to come to a Red Sea yourself. You're going to come to a spot in your life where, it, wow, that looks impossible. How is that going to happen? I don't even see a way. That, there's no way that that can work out. You're going, to, you're going to run into a terrible storm in your life. That you need God to step in and calm, and he'll do that. Things that may feel dead, he'll resurrect it. He's faithful, and as we wait, he'll be working on a bigger plan. And it says this, verse 59, so it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child that they would have called his name, called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. So a couple things are important here. First thing is on the eighth day, you'll remember that that was the sign God gave Abram to be circumcised. It was to be on the eighth day, and, and, and it was uh, to tell the difference between God's people 
and the world. So they, God gave him the sign of circumcision, and it was to be, be on the eighth day. And, and that's important, number one, just because God said it. Right? God, if God says it, all right, I'm going to do it. Sometimes we, we're hung up on, well, what about what's wrong with the seventh day? What about the ninth day? I don't get it. Right? Well, one thing, and you can look this up, but scientifically, medically, we understand that it's the day when vitamin K is on the increase, and another word of a, something that's active in your body that's a clotting agent, begins with a P, prothrombin or something like that, that peaks, and is that actually the maximum that it'll be in your body your whole life? It's at 110% on the eighth day. Well, they didn't know that. Abraham didn't know that. The children of Israel probably didn't know that. They're just like, God, I'm going to believe you. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to do what you say. And sometimes we question, like, that doesn't make any sense. But God knows what he's doing. He knows what we should be doing. And he tells us that, and then science catches up with what God already says. And we understand, wow. And that's why they give babies shots of vitamin K in the hospital, right? Because it's a clotting agent. It helps, right? And you need that. But God says do it on the eighth day. So it's important to be obedient. So they circumcised him. And, and what's amazing is John grows up in a home that's special. And it's not just special because an angel visits them. Right? That is special. Or that there's a miraculous birth. But what makes it special for John and it can be special for you and I, for our kids, is our kids can grow up in a home that honors God. And I think that's what's amazing about Zacharias and Elizabeth. It's not just that they got an angelic visitation or had a miraculous birth or some, a miracle in their life. John got to see something amazing, just two parents that loved the Lord, that through hard times and hard circumstances, they couldn't have kids their whole life, but you know what? They stayed faithful. They walked with God. They worshiped God. They served God. And then now they see the appreciation of, for what God's done for them. And, and I'm certain that they just taught John the word of God. And that's what made it so special for John to grow up in that home. Imperfect people, but he grew up in a home with mom and dad that they were just committed. The Bible says circumcised on the eighth day. Let's just do that. That's what God says. We're going to do that. And John grew up in that kind of home where they were worshipers, where he saw his parents praying. He saw his parents reading the Bible. He saw his parents doing things that maybe other parents weren't doing. And that's what made John special. That's what made his parents special. And it says they would have called him after his father's name, and that was cultural. But listen, verse 60 says they made signs, or it says his mother answered and said, no, he'll be called John. I just pictured my wife for a second, like because if somebody asks her something here, if you don't know her, she's like more than willing to help and do it and like, Hey, Leah, can you make a meal for you? Yeah, absolutely. And if it was me, then we like we go toe-to-toe -to -toe sometimes. 
But if someone asked her something, so I was just trying to picture the pressure that these people would, no, 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 you should call him after his father's name. That's a great name, Zacharias. And she's like, nope, not going to do it. It's very emphatic in the Greek. He's, she, she's like, no way, that's not going to happen. We're not going to do that. That's not what God said. I'm going to call his name John. She's not going to be pressured. She knows what God says, and she does it. Romans chapter 12 says this, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the word, or by the renewing of your mind, which is the word of God. That's how you transform your mind. It's in the word of God. Right? So naturally, what's going to happen if you're not transforming your mind by the Bible, by the word of God, letting it wash over you, What's going to come natural every day, and you don't even have to try, is you're going to get conformed to this world. It's influences, and it's pressures, and people are going to be able to tell you something, even though it's against God's word, and if his word's not washing over you, you're going to be conformed to, to its image rather than God's image, right? You, you need to be changed. If CNN and Fox News or whatever else is influencing you, social medias, that's the image you're going to be conformed into. Paul said, be transformed. You need to be transformed. You need to be changed by that. You know, we're living in the last days, and, and you know, the Bible doesn't say that, that, and I like Donald Trump, and maybe people aren't going to like me. I, I liked what he did, for sure. Is there hang-ups, whatever? In, in, in his behavior or how he, what he said and how he said things, whatever. Here's the bottom line. He's not our savior. My hope's not in Donald Trump. My hope isn't in a particular party. It's not, it's not in that. The Bible, the hope, it, listen, the Bible says evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse. We're coming into a day and age that Jesus spoke about, the days of Noah the days of Lot where things are violent, terrible, and it's not going to get better, and they're the birth pains. When, when you have birth pains, as a, as a lady, I've never had them, but you know, if you have them, there's something coming. It's a baby, and it's not going to stop until it comes. Well, that's where we're, at, where we're at. The birth pains are coming, and Jesus is coming. Not a, not a president that's going to save the planet or America even if we do get another four years of grace with, with some miraculous thing, it doesn't matter. Jesus Christ is coming back. Are you ready? Do we believe that? If not, you're just being conformed to this world and the ideologies, the thought that this person, this politician is going to save me. He isn't, and he's not. Gas prices are going up. You're not going to be able to afford things. That, you know, Things are going to get terrible. They're not going to get better. Our hope isn't like... It went down 10 cents a gallon, and that affects the food. That affects our, wow, this is amazing. We're doing America's saved. No, it's not. It's going down. Jesus is coming. This world is getting worse and worse and worse, right? Don't be conformed. She's not being conformed. She says, no way. He's going to be called John, which is grace or God's grace. But they said to her, They're not done. 
They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who's called by the name of John. You know, more peer pressure. You probably have friends like that. Come on, just come on out tonight. They're trying to convince her. So they made signs, verse 62, and this is funny because John or Zacharias is mute, not deaf. He can't talk. Doesn't mean he can't hear. And so they start making signs to his father what he, what he would have him called, right? Charades, maybe. We picture that. They're making these signs like he can't hear and he's never learned sign language before. They're trying to figure out how to communicate to him. And verse 63 says, and he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote saying, his name is John. And they all marveled, right? He agrees, not with just his wife. He does agree with his wife. But what he agrees with is God's word. He agrees with God. And if you want your marriage to be healthy, fruitful, and blessed, don't just agree with your wife. Don't just agree with your husband. You need to agree with the word of God. When we do counseling, meet with people, couples, it's not like, hey, let's take a side. Let's take a, you know, you know actually take her side or take it. No, we take God's side. Let's see what the Bible says about your marriage. What's going on? Solomon said that there's a, a season for everything. There's a time for everything, right? There's a season for everything. And, the sun, and then he said this, there's a time to tear down. There's a time to rebuild. And sometimes that's what marriages takes. It's like, all right, let's clear the slate. Let's get back to the foundation. Let's see what God has to say about your marriage and what you should be doing and how it works. Yeah, you've got a history, you've got a past, there's problems. Let's clear the slate. You need to forgive. You need to love. You need to walk in your roles that God has ordained for your life. And if you're willing to, you can start rebuilding. If you're not willing to, it's not going to work. Because you're not willing to do what the Bible says. Because God wants to empower you to do his word. He'll do that. He promises to do that. He's not going to ask you to do anything that he's not going to empower you and equip you to do. That would be torture. Do this. Ah, I knew you couldn't do it. No, that's not what God does. He calls you to do something because he empowers you and equips you to do it. He doesn't sit back and watch you suffer like good luck. Nice try. The trouble isn't on his end. It's often on our end. We're not saturating ourselves in the word of God. God, please, begging him, Lord, change me, mold me, equip me, help me. So he agrees, not with his wife, but with the word of God. And one of the problems that we have, whether it's in marriage or anything, when we walk with the Lord, is we have the tendency to question, why do we call him John? Why? Why? What's the reason? Why do we call Why? Because God said it, right? We question sometimes, well, I don't like John. You know, that's not my favorite name, or that's, that's not my favorite thing to do. Well, that's too bad. This is what God says. This is what works the best. This is what God says to do. 
we're hung up on questions and problems that I don't like that or why don't they? Or No, just do what God has told you to do. Very important. Because the hang-up for most people isn't questioning God's word. Why does it say that? Why does it say that? What? I don't understand this. The, the, the problem with most people isn't that they don't understand the Bible. That's why I'm not doing it, because I don't quite understand it or why that works. Or, the problem is people just don't want to do the things that they do know. So clear. Are you willing to just do what you know to be true? That you, is so clear in the Bible. And so verse 64 says this, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, praising God. Amazing what faith and obedience does. It sets you free. Belief and obedience releases faith and freedom. It's a faith that works. Immediately... He calls his name John, and, and his mouth is open, his tongue's loosed. Faith is released, and freedom is released through belief and obedience. I just, God, I believe you. I want to obey you. <clears throat> if I told you guys, <clears throat> after service, there's a beef brisket dinner for everyone there's not, so don't get your hopes up. There's a beef brisket dinner downstairs for everyone who goes down. Just <clears throat> go down. It's all got all the fixings, the potatoes, the... Hon, are you listening? You can make this. Right? There's a beef brisket dinner, potatoes, mac salad, all, all the sides, everything, the rolls, butter, uh, whatever. It's all down there. Some people are going to believe it. And obey it and say, all right, where do we go? We go downstairs. I want it. I'm going to do it. That's cool. Other people are going to say, the line's too long. I don't want to wait. You can't tell me what to eat for lunch. Who paid for that anyways, right? People are going to question and wonder and worry. and that's, that's a big problem. Where did it come from? Who paid for it? I don't like dinosaur barbecue, right? Amazing. People might question that. But they will, and that's the problem with God's word and doing God's word. They question it, they examine it, they analyze it, they wonder, they think, I want to do that, but I don't want to do this. And they'll complain. But for Zacharias, he just believed, obeyed, and his mouth is open, his tongue is loosed. And what's the first thing he does? He begins to praise God, begins to worship. So important, worship. Listen, worship is what we have with our lives, our mouth, everything we do to worship God. It's what we should be doing. Sunday mornings, the first little portion of church, we sing four songs. We call that worship. That is, we're worshiping with, a, with song, right? That's the little bit of Sunday morning that we give to God. God, here's what I have. I'm going to give you four songs, Right? And then he gives you everything else, the fellowship, the word of God, all that. That's your whole life. God is giving, 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 right? We get to have worship service. You attend that. You sing songs. That's the little bit we have to give God. Should be here. Should be doing that, right? 
Don't, don't miss that part because God works in our hearts through worship. He begins to stir them. Even though it's to the Lord, the Lord gives it right back and we stir our hearts and the word of God begins to be active in our minds and he's speaking to us through worship. And that's what, you know, he believes and he begins praising God. And we're going to see, I think, his praise starting in verse uh, 67. We're going to read through that with very little comment. But it says this in verse 65, as he's praising God, they both said his name's going to be John. That's Zacharias and Elizabeth. People begin to marvel. Fear came on all them who dwelt around them. And these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country. People marveled as Zechariah worshipped. Their witness went out as worshipers, as lovers of God, servants of the Lord. Right? Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses. You'll, you won't have to go witnessing. You can. And maybe you should. But you'll just be my witnesses. Right? And then you read Acts chapter 2, as that just happened, the Spirit fell on the church. They were just in one accord, in one place. The Spirit, cloven tongues, divided tongues. They're proclaiming the wonderful works of God, it says, I think in verse 9 of chapter 2. People heard them heard in their own language, speaking the wonderful works of God of God. They're not witnessing. They're just talking about the Lord. And that's your life. That's your witness. Your witness doesn't start out by, all right, I got to talk to this guy. What, what's the five points of Calvinism? What's the, you know, you, no, just let your life be a witness. That's what Zechariah and Elizabeth, their life was just a witness. By doing what? Just serving God, walking with the Lord, following him, trying to obey his word. Your life becomes a witness to the world on the job. You may not know it, but people are watching your life. They're wondering, is he going to swear? Is she going to swear? Is she going to steal that? Is he going to take that? Is he going to do that? And they're watching your life thinking, wow, they didn't. They didn't do that, or they didn't do this, or they didn't. They're thinking, wow, there's something different about this guy. And you're not necessarily witnessing but they're witnessing your life, your kindness, your goodness, your love, your caring. You're asking them. You're going through a hard thing. They know about it. And you're, hey, how's your life going? How's your family doing? What? How's your family? You know, you actually care about them, what they're going through. You're not being impatient with people. And their life is a witness. Their life is just a witness. Your life should be a witness on the job. That's what God's called you. You might not be witnessing to people. You should be. God will open that door. But before you get to open your mouth to share Jesus Christ, a lot of times your life is just that witness. Your life becomes a witness. And then he says this in verse 66, and all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, what kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with them. They knew that many times kids that were born children, that were born men, that were born 
from barrenness became mighty men of God. God used them in a great way. So they were wondering, who is John going to be? What is going to happen with this boy that's born to Zacharias and Elizabeth, these parents? Right? They're, they're, they're wondering. And like I said, that can be your life. The, what was, what's special is how they raised John, what they did with John. The examples they were to John, the witness, the, the witness that they were, that's what made them special. They raised their kids, especially, you know, Zacharias and Elizabeth, they're old. I mean, they're probably in the wheelchair thinking, I wish I could throw the football with my son, you know. I wish I could play catch. I'm just joking about that. But they had a little bit of time. They knew they had a little bit of time with their kids. Our time we think as parents, at least I have in the past, we've got all this time. I can't wait till they leave. You never thought that. Like, come on, grow up. Costing me money. No. Uh, we can think that. Then all of a sudden, it's here and it's gone. They're gone. And then we don't have any more time. Well, Zacharias and Elizabeth, their time was even shorter. They had such limited time. Imagine, imagine having, knowing that, like, I have to invest. I have to talk to them. Yeah, I could be doing this. This would be, more, watching the game is more fun, but let's read. Oh, I've spent all day working. You know, I'm, I'm the provider. I deserve to watch this show tonight. I'd love to read, but let your mom do it. But when we realize the time is this short, you need to take it. You need to seize the moment or whatever people say. Right? Do that. And then Zacharias begins to his worship, his prophecy, his song. Verse 67, his father, Zacharias, it says, was filled with the Holy Spirit. doesn't say that about Mary when we read her song. Zacharias here, his song, his prophecy, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's Zacharias's voice, familiar. Maybe you've talked to people because he hasn't had his voice for nine months he has, or longer maybe. He hasn't, he hasn't been able to speak. So even though it's maybe a familiar voice to some people, he's talking and they're like, oh yeah, there's Zacharias. That, that, that's, I know that guy, right? You ever get a phone call from someone you haven't talked to in a while? Oh yeah, I know. You know I can, you, then you picture him, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You talk to him. Well, although it was Zacharias' voice, the words and what he says and the content are right from the throne room of God. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, and what he says is Bible. God fills him with the Spirit, and what he says, the content, is from the throne room of heaven. It's 100% accurate. You know, and he's foretelling the future, what's going to happen. He's going to talk about his son. He's going to talk about the Lord. He's foretelling the future. He's predicting what the future is going to be. Foretelling is what pastors can do on Sunday morning. They just explain the Bible, right? That's what, that's what I'm doing. Explain what's been spoken. It's, it's, spoken. It's, it's to make it public or make it plain, make it simple. Zacharias, he's telling the future. He's, he's saying this is what's going to happen. So it says, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. 
He's visited and redeemed. That word redeemed means to ransom, to buy back, to purchase. Right In Romans chapter 3, it, it, it talks about that. Paul talks about it, and it's all over the Bible. But Romans chapter 3 talks about that, and what Paul is referencing is, is what happens in the slave market when people were ransomed. They were redeemed. There would be a slave market, and people would go to the square, and, and, and people would be brought up, and they would be purchased. And, and sometimes you would purchase a slave, and they would be seasonal help. And sometimes you, that was one way to purchase. Another way is they would be in your house forever. And then another way, and this is what Paul's talking about, and this is what it means, is you're redeemed to be set free. You'd purchase a slave to completely set him free. And you'd pay the full price, and you'd outbid other bidders that are there. And that's what Jesus Christ did for you guys. He outbid the, everyone else in this world to, to make you his own, and to set you free. He's redeemed you. He's visited. I think if people visit me, people probably wouldn't redeem me. They see tons of flaws and problems and issues, like, right? Come and live at my house for a week or a month. They'll think, nah, he's not worth it. No, let's not pay that price, right? But Jesus, it says that he's visited, he knows you, lived in your house, he saw your life, he says, you know what, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to completely pay the full price and set you free. And that's what Jesus does, sets you free. So he says, he's visited, redeemed his people, raised up a horn of salvation. The horn was the, the sign of strength and power. And that's who God is in your life. He's your strength. He's your power. A horn of salvation in the house of his servant, David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began. And you could go through a litany of scriptures in the Old Testament that speaks of Messiah and what he's coming to do and how he's coming. And that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. We could spend another whole week on this. We're not going to, though. And the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And it says this, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. And he begins to quote Isaiah chapter 40. You'll be called the prophet of the highest. You'll go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way. This is God speaking to Zacharias, through Zacharias, and ultimately to his son. John will hear this all the time. You, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. You'll go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercies of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. John would be taught that all the time. He would be reminded of that. And, and, and verse 80 says, And the child grew, became strong in the spirit, and look, and he was in the desert, in the wilderness, to the day of his man manifestation to Israel. 
Malachi, that's the last thing he said. Elijah's going to come. Isaiah, this one voice crying in the wilderness. And then we'll see in Luke chapter 3, I think we'll be there a couple weeks here. Uh, that's where John is. John will be waiting. He's been taught, trained by his parents. His parents were just a great example. And John will wait there in the wilderness. He knows his calling. He knows his purpose. Why? Because mom and dad poured into his life, reminding him, reminding him, this is who you are. This is what God calls you to. This is what he said about you. Your life matters. This is what he's going to do with your life. Never forget that, mom and dad. You might only have a week, a month, a year left with your son or daughter. Pour the word of God into them. Remind them who they are, how much God loves them, what, they, what God wants to do with their life. Because there's not a person here that God doesn't want to use. There's not one person here that God doesn't want to use. He does want to use you. He wants to touch your life, and he wants to use you. What a gift. What a privilege that is to be used by the Lord. So, Lord, we are just so thankful for your love, God. Help our lives to be testimonies, God, living epistles, known and read of all men. Not that we have to go witnessing, Lord, but that our lives would be a witness, that they would be a testimony, as imperfect as they are. We're not perfect people, Lord, but, but we want to be a witness for you, Lord. So help us to be transformed by your word. Help, us, help, help that to be our commitment, to allow your word to wash over us. As parents, that we would wash our kids in the word. As husbands, that we would wash our wives in the word so important, God. Your word, it's alive. It's the only living book. It's one that looks into us, God, and we thank you for it. just want to give you our lives, Jesus. We love you in your name. Amen. I uh, put a fender on my car the other day, and I had to take a lot of different parts off to get that fender on, and I got it on. I have, for some reason, a lot of parts left over. <laughs> I'm sure that's never happened to you. I have a lot of parts left over. I know I shouldn't throw them out, but I probably will. But everything in your life, all the little parts that you think, how is God going to use that? What's going to go on here? Well, how can that work? And you look at it and think, I want to throw that out. Listen, don't throw it out. God is going to use it. He's using every part of your life, every little detail. Be patient. Don't get frustrated. Trust the process. God hasn't forgotten you. He loves you. He cares about you.